The scripture passage today comes from Colossians chapter 1, and uh, you'll understand why, but I'm going to read from the New International Version, but you can follow along in whatever version you have. So Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading from verse 13. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. One of the things that uh, John Calvin was concerned about was the lack of worship that was actually going on in the churches like in Geneva. And he saw the Reformation as a Reformation on worship, what is true worship. And so when he was going into the pulpit, he prayed this prayer, and I would ask you to join with me, thinking about just what this simply means when we come before God and we uh, expound his word. Let's pray. Good God and Father, since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, be merciful and enlighten us by your Holy Spirit in the truth understanding of your, and the true understanding of your word. And give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we ought so that we might glorify your holy name. So that in everything, he might have supremacy. If you can turn, trying to find my clicker here, I put it someplace. I want to make sure we got, there it is. We'll get it on sooner or later. There we go. Good. And? Let's see if that can work. Okay, there we go. Good. I, can, I think I can see that there. So that in everything, 
he, Christ, might have supremacy. It's surprising to me that uh, when I was looking at this verse and then I was looking at the various and different versions, uh, how many different ways in which this Greek word is being translated. You know, I can read Greek and uh, some 40 years ago I translated the Gospel of John into English. I try to go the other way as well. But if you don't use it, you lose it. And uh, one of the striking things coming from the engineering background, it was amazing how translating Greek into English was very close to calculus. And, uh, of course, we also have uh, computer programs that will do the same thing for us now. But as you look at this word, it's very interesting um, at the various and different versions. So if you happen to have one, there we go. Uh, These are the ones that I actually had. Uh, So it's preeminence. Uh, and you can see, and now this is the New American Standard, actually used the one word, and they got a whole bunch of words, and no problem, might come to have uh, first place in everything. So these words are different for different translations, and, um, no, oh, here we go. Let's see if we can get this. There we go. So the one word that I liked when I was reading through this was the one in the New International, and that is the word supremacy. So Christ has supremacy in everything. Now, for the last 2,000 years, people have been looking at the Scriptures, and they failed to grasp the supremacy of Christ, primarily because they didn't look at the entire body, the entire Scriptures. And people treated um, the Scriptures as a smorgasbord. And when I was in uh, elementary school, a teacher showed me this picture here of a five blind men looking at an elephant. And of course, every one of them had a different view of what that element, uh, that elephant was all about. And so when people come to the scriptures, if they don't look at everything, then they're going to pick and choose whatever they want. So back 300 years AD, the Arians, they believed and the humanity of Christ. Now, Arians, I'm not talking about Hitler's Arians. We're talking 300 AD. We've got other people like the Docetists who believe Jesus was uh, just uh, supernatural. There was no human at all. And let's see if we've got that there. You may not be able to see all of that there, but this is the New World Translation. I think last time it was published was 1950s. But you can see a lot of brackets in there in which they're putting extra words in. Because they don't like the fact that Jesus Christ is, in fact, supreme over all. Now, here's the next question, and that is, if you were to go into any major city, take a microphone and ask the people walking on the street, who is Jesus? The majority of people would say he was a good teacher. And that's where it ends. Well, the supremacy of Christ is something that we need to dwell on and think about. The supremacy of Christ. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. This is what it says. He is before all things. You have to stop and think about that for just one little bit. He is before all things. That means there was nothing... And he was there. Now, at prayer meeting, we've gone through 
the book of Ephesians. If you want to look at the supremacy of Christ in this regard, you could look at John chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. But one of the things that's very interesting is if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, if you have a quick turn to that, Ephesians chapter 1, and it expands this idea that he is before all things. And really kind of um, share, it really expands our understanding of who Christ is. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before anything was created, there we have the Father and the Son. And if you read further on in Ephesians, the Spirit is there as well. And there we have the triune God talking about what's going to happen, what they're going to do before anything was made. That's who God is. There was nothing but God. That's quite something to consider, something to contemplate. God is, period. There is nothing above God, nothing under God. God is, period. He is all-powerful. We can start listing all these things. But because God is before all creation, we have a special word for that. We call that transcendent. He's over and above us. Now, you are a human being, right? Now, you are a human being, meaning that you had a birth date and you have an expiry date, or you're going to die. God, on the other hand, before any cre- anything was made, was, but God is. God always has been. He is transcendent. He is all-powerful. When I look at some of the new movies and other um, books that are out dealing with science fiction, I'm always disappointed in what I see, read, and hear uh, from these movies really disappointed because they simply ignore, number one, they don't know much about the universe, and number two, they reject logic and reason, and they have no concept of who God really is. Um, Some of you might know Richard Dawkins. Again, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not, but he was talking in a public square, and as you you have to remember that he's Brit. He's a British, so prim and proper. So as he's talking... Uh, the audience is starting to laugh at him. So you can imagine, he reminds me of this uh, harsh schoolmaster with a stick. Is why are you laughing? And the people responded by saying, um, you're telling us that something is coming from nothing. Uh, that's ridiculous. God is transcendent, meaning before anything was, God is. He is transcendent. He's 
the one who is before all things. I was uh, at Strathroy Home Hardware, and it was a slow afternoon, but I was checking out, and uh, there was a young man at the cash register, and uh, we were talking a little bit about school, and I said, yeah, but physics is the best uh, course you can take in high school, and he agreed, and to my left, there was this more senior cash cashier. I'm sure, I wonder if she was just kind of helping him to learn the ropes of being on the cash register. And then she piped up and says, yeah, but then you're going to have to uh, learn something about black holes. And I'm sorry, um, I can't uh, get, I cannot leave a misconception alone when it comes to that. I simply said, black hole? You realize that nobody anywhere has ever seen a black hole. And you can push it a little bit further. No one has ever seen dark matter, which, again, black holes are part of that. And they've been for decades looking for black, dark matter, and they haven't been able to, which is neither here nor there. Because, but they need the dark matter because their Big Bang, uh, it's missing 95% of the mass needed for the Big Bang. Now, if your son came home, and he said, I missed 95% of the questions. I'm doing really well. Um, I don't think so. Well, she dug, her, she dug herself a little bit deeper when she said, yeah, but then you're going to have to look at the big uh, bang. And then I inquired, yeah, but what you're telling me is that there was nothing and then there's something. How can you get something from nothing? I knew by that time there was a few people waiting in line, and off we went. And um, that was kind of an interesting um, conversation. And at the end, she says, I guess we have to believe in God. And that's primarily it. So the supremacy of Christ is that he is transcendent, he is before all things. And then, what do we know? Let's look at verse 16, rather. Uh, For by him, verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he begins by telling us that God is transcendent, and what does he do? But basically, he creates all things. Now, it talks here about heaven and earth, and I think the first two words simply deal with earth and the sky. If you want to look at more interesting passage dealing with the heavens, Psalm 19 is a great psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. We had uh, international students for a while in our home uh, from China, and most of them came from large cities. And if you know anything about large cities in China, um, again, they wore masks not because of a virus, but because of the particles in the air. 
and uh, they would rarely, if ever, see the night sky. And one of the most interesting things that happened to, to me and to them was they would come to the little town of Alvinston, where there's almost no lights. They would get out of the car, and they would look up into the sky, and they had one word to say, stars. They never saw stars before. That was amazing to me that they would never, they never saw stars. So if I actually put my back to our house, there was a nice band of stars that would reach uh, from one end to the other, and that was the Milky Way. And they were looking at that, and the strangest thing, <laughs> I don't think it ever hit this one, you decided to take a picture of it. I don't think it actually turns out as well as you actually see it for real. So the heavens declare the glory of God. God made the heavens. This is an object. It's not from Canada. This actually comes from Central Africa, Rwanda. It's a volcanic stone. It's an object. Now, this stone, who knows where it came from? I'm not a geologist. I know that from a human perspective, we've gone down, what, two, two miles down with a small drill bit to see what was down there. Who knows where this came from? I'm not a geologist. It could be lower than that. But uh, again, uh, Rwanda, if you don't know where it is, Central Africa. And Rwanda is the size of Lake Huron. They actually have a lake. In fact, what happened was that something went burp, and it took all the oxygen out of the lake, and uh, all the fish died, and they had a few fish that survived the size of your little pinky, and they would fish for them, and they would eat them whole. Uh, not my favorite meal at all. But here's, here is a rock. You see, this rock demands... But something created it. Now, there's two ways to look at this. This rock created itself and is not changing. Or, this rock, because it's an object, had a creator. Now, we could go on further. Something created it, which created it. And so you go all the way back in which the prime mover, as Plato talked about it, uh, the one who created it is the transcendent God. So if there is an object anywhere on this planet, it demands that there is a creator. Either that or it created itself, which is logically bizarre. So, God, so Jesus is supreme in that he created all things, things on, in heaven and things on the earth. Notice what also he says, that Jesus Christ created things that are visible, and things that are invisible. One of our favorite stories about the invisible world around us comes from uh, Elisha. I like numbers, so I can remember this passage. 2 Kings 6.16. There's two sixes, so 2 Kings uh, 6.16. 
And Elijah's servant was really upset because he sees this army coming at him. They don't know, he doesn't know what to do. And uh, Elijah's not twiddling his thumb, but he, he might have done so because he says, don't worry about it. And so he prayed that the Lord would open his eyes to see those that are on the hills. And as he looked there, the hills were filled with angels and horses that were protecting them. And Elijah was very, very peaceful about what was going on. So the invisible world is out there. A long time ago when I was in seminary, we had Tim Horton's Tuesdays. And we would get into cars and we would go to Tim Horton's. And uh, the people I went with were jealous of me because whenever I ordered a jelly-filled donut. I had a whole whack of jelly, and when they ordered it, they had just a small amount. But again, this is theology, so we had theological discussions, and so there were six of us, and three of them uh, were saying there really isn't um, evil or uh, satanic activity. And three of us and the two that were beside me were non-Canadians. One was from Ghana. I'm not sure where the other one was from. And we were saying that there is an evil that is there that affects the life of people. And the debate went back and forth. There is the invisible world that we cannot see. And again, we were discussing this. I'm not sure where... But again, as a Christian, Satan can't enter into your mind. But Satan can place things in front of you that might lead to a temptation, lead to sin. But there is this evil that's there. Now, it's interesting that uh, during our course there at McMaster, um, the one man, Dave, was saying, um, there was this lady there who knew her scriptures inside and out. He says, I don't know if I ever want to learn those scriptures as good as she does. And she is, he's primarily a kind of the head for, head leading guy in the convention who was pushing uh, the trans movement, etc., etc., etc. We find here that... God, uh, so Jesus is supreme in which he created the visible and invisible world. Well, we have to remember one important thing, and that as we were, uh, man was created perfect. Everything was created perfect. And what does it say in Romans chapter 8? It says that when we sinned, all creation groaned. There was a damage done to creation. And so, yes, just as humans fall, there were spirits who did fall. And so when we think about principalities and powers, we often think about the um, evil that can be had around the world. But there's also the spirits that we see in the story of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. Now, I do want to clear up one misconception that we all have, and that is um, how many people here have ever watched the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour? Okay, please, can you put aside 
this view of the devil. He doesn't have a red suit. He doesn't have a pitchfork. If you were to see an angel and you were to see Satan, they would look exactly the same. They're glorious beings. Okay? The demon, if you will, is envious of God, and he wants to take us away from God. And, of course, the angels, of course, are a ministering servant sent by God himself. The devil is not red, but he masquerades as angels of light. Now, Jesus created the heavens and the earth, principalities and power. And here's one more thing, which I think is very important. Verse 17, it says, He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, in him all things hold together. So the, so the supremacy of Christ is that he is keeping things together. And as we look around the world, we can see how the planet is so nicely put together. When I was in engineering, I saw the uh, interesting things about systems, how they, they work together. And we, see, we can see on our planet how all these things are working together quite effectively. And that is, we have a breathable atmosphere, 20% oxygen, 80% nitrogen. Uh, we have all these things working together uh, in quite an amazing uh, way. Uh, some of you may not have actually looked at this, but uh, NASA has released a nice little satellite picture in which the Sahara Desert is actually shrinking. It's actually greening up. It's getting greener and greener. It's kind of cool. Is it going to go? It could, it could go the other way as well. One of the things you might not like, but there is something that is really helping us a fair bit. We actually have a lot of bug spray trying to get rid of them, but... One of the things that the most, the most incredibly large number of critters that exist on the planet are insects. And we have yet to catalog them all and name them all. Remember, God said, name all the plant animals, right? So we have no idea how many insects there actually are on the surface of the planet, but they are, there are more insects than any other creature that's on the planet. And what they do is they actually, if we, if we didn't have these insects, we would probably up to our knee in excrement because they take, take that excrement and they break it down for us. Now, we talk about uh, Christ holds things together. And what does that mean is that this pulpit, if God stopped, stopped thinking about this pulpit, this pulpit would be gone. The universe is fragile. We are fragile. If God stopped thinking of me, I wouldn't be here. My next breath is taken. Why? Because God is giving me that next breath. Now, we see that Christ's supremacy is seen in that he holds things together. And one of the things we don't often think about is this. That he has protected me, kept me from sin. 
we can turn to Scripture, and we can see what happened to Pharaoh. He withdrew his caretaking of Pharaoh. And through the ten requests from Moses, he said, no, no. Finally, at the end, he said, yeah, you can go. But then he changed his mind. And finally, he ran after the Israelites, and he was wiped out in the Red Sea. We heard the term absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we have to praise God for the fact that we don't turn into somebody like a Hitler. Because if we were left on our own, that's where we would go. So Christ's supremacy is seen in that he holds things together. Well, let's move on to the next part. So he's transcended. He is the one who sustains us. And look at verse 15 and 19. He is the, 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. And then verse 19, For God... For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now think about that for a little bit. This transcendent God, who is above everything, who created the world, created the universe, it says here that his fullness dwelt in Christ. Can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23? Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We heard this a few months ago. Matthew 1, 23. We've all read this, heard the story, especially at Christmas, how Mary was to conceive through the power of the Spirit, the Savior, and Joseph, you're to call him Jesus because he's going to save the people from their sin. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And that is absolutely amazing. That this transcendent God is now in Christ and the apostles walked with him and talked with him. What's the rest? A long life's narrow way? That's amazing. That he is... Now, what's that term we use? Ah, he's imminent. So he is transcendent and he's also now in that he is with us. Now, one of the interesting things that's in verse 19 is the word fullness. Now, if I'm going to give you a cup of coffee or a glass of water, I'm going to make sure that there's nothing that went ahead of you that it's going to spill. That's not the term that's being used here. Take your cup, put it underneath the tap, Turn on the tap and let it fill up. Let it fill up to overflowing. And let it overflow. And let it overflow. That's the fullness we're talking about here. That Christ, who became 
Emmanuel, God with us, had the fullness of God there with him. That, let's put it this way. One of the things when we talk about the supremacy of Christ is that Christ is incomprehensible. It's not that we can't comprehend part of him, but God is infinite. As a human being, we have a hard time understanding everything that there is found in Christ. And here we have the supremacy of Christ as the one who was in eternity, now is on earth. The fullness of God was there with him. Um, one of the things that's really popular within Christian circles are the videos, the books, and the YouTube clips of people who claim to have gone to heaven and come back. Just be very careful when you read those. Uh, the bottom line is follow the money. But you can do some actual work, collect as many of those stories as possible. And one thing you're going to find out is they're making a lot of money and all of those stories are contradictory. Who's been in, what, who has been in heaven? Christ. Who made heaven? Christ did. Who's going to tell us exactly what heaven is all about? Christ will. When somebody says they've been to heaven and back, like I said, follow the money, but rather the best thing for us to do is to listen to what Christ is telling us about heaven. Well, here comes the last part. Uh, verse 15, the last part. This is what it says here. The firstborn over creation. And this is where some of the um, Arians and the Jehovah's Witnesses start to get confused with when they look at one word. And it says firstborn. And they say, well, look, he's firstborn. He's the first one that's born. So he's a human being. Well, if you want a, uh, a buffet... You can take that word and, and enjoy that, but that's not what it's actually saying here. If you put all of those passages together about who Christ is, number one, he is the firstborn over all creation. He was born to Mary. We find that he was circumcised on the eighth day. We find him in the temple talking to the Pharisees and the leaders when he was age 12. We know that Christ started his ministry when he was 30. And then when he was around 30 or so, he went to the cross. He died. He rose again. Oh, I think it says the firstborn of the dead. And then he ascended into glory and he promised he would come again. Now, if you put all of that together, firstborn is not the first one born. My son, Jonathan, is the firstborn. But that's not what it means there. What it means is that if you put all of Christ's life together, it is, he is the most important. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is of primary importance. He's above and he's in front of everyone. 
And so the supremacy of Christ is that he is transcendent, he is imminent, he sustains all things. And when we look at his life, we find that he is supreme in all of his work, including his death and resurrection. Now, we can put all of this together. Um, How does this apply to us in the church? Now, we have to remember that um, the Colossians, along with most of the other books in our New Testament, they didn't have a New Testament scripture. By the year, maybe 100, 125, almost every church would have almost all of the scriptures that we have here. You may have lost Jude or Third John, the smaller books, but they primarily had the scriptures from the apostles. And Paul is trying to give them a little bit more understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. What happened? And so he's talking about the supremacy of Christ and what did Christ do for them? And please turn with me to verse 13. He's turning to the Colossians and he says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loved, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And let's just jump down to verse 20. And there it says, He reconciled to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul is giving us a couple of applications of what it means to have supremacy of Christ, and that is redemption and reconciliation. Um, Yeah, if we're going to discuss those, we might be here till three in the afternoon. Um, uh, We'll take up those two words next Sunday evening uh, when we have a lot more time. But the first thing that we read here is that there is redemption. There is redemption. And we can think about um, redemption talking about you're being bought back. You are redeemed. You're not doing it. Somebody redeemed you. And as we go through the Old Testament, redemption simply meant that. It meant God promised Abraham that God was going to make him a great nation and he was going to bless the entire world through his offspring. God promised that. You can almost replace the word redemption with promise. God's promise. And so we find here that this promise, this redemption, leads to what? The forgiveness of sin. How, you also have this important concept in which God took us out of the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And there's one last word uh, that we deal with, and that is Reconciliation. Christ is, as we read here, the head of the church. 
And it says here that Christ has reconciled you and me to God. Um, okay, you're dead. You're in front of God. And God's going to ask you, oh, why are you going to come? Why should I let you into heaven? So you put all these lists of things that you did. Uh, not going to work. It says that Christ reconciled you to the Father. He reconciled us. The reason being is that God is holy. We are sinners. The wrath of God is upon us. We are living in that domain of darkness, but what happens is we are taken out of that domain of darkness. We are brought into the kingdom of his son, and there is this reconciliation. If you've got forgiveness of sins, that's wonderful. Some would say this, that if we, Jesus went to the cross to forgive our sins, then we're just like Adam and Eve now. No. Jesus uh, increased the message one notch. It's not that when, you are, when Christ reconciled you back to the Father, it's not that you are now perfect and you're like Adam and Eve. There's one more step. And it's this. That when Christ reconciled you back to the Father, number one, he lived your life for you. Perfect. He was your substitute in the life you're living now. His life was perfect. Is your life perfect? I'll just ask your wife. When Christ lived this life, so he lived our life for us. And when he died on the cross, he took your sin and my sin to the cross. And it says here, he forgave us our sin. But more than that, when he took our sin, he gave us his righteousness. So that when we stand before the throne of God, we are not talking about what I did, but what Christ did. It says that he made peace between God and us. And so when we stand before the throne of God, it's him who reconciled us to the Father. The supremacy of Christ is seen in the power of the redemption, of, of redemption in Christ, the promise, the supremacy of his promises, and the supremacy of his peace that is eternal. So, when you go home, why do you read your Bible? Or should I say, um, why should you read the Bible? You know that dusty one that's over there on the shelf? We read the Bible because we want to learn, we want to see the supremacy of Christ. I was reading in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 and following. 
like I said, I like numbers. I've always wanted to remember where the first two uh, important commandments are. Loving God, loving your neighbor. And if you have it in your head, Matthew 22, 3, 4. So I was able to kind of remember that where it is. And here's the challenge then. I read the scriptures, and it's hard to love. But what I discovered is this, is that if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, then I'm going to be able to love others more cleanly, more perfectly, more. So I'm going to love my wife more if I'm loving God first and primary. So if I'm going to switch it around and I'm going to try to love my wife without loving God, that's going to be a very difficult thing to do. When we turn to the Scriptures, don't give it a little tap. Don't read a chapter and say, I'm done for the day. Look for the supremacy of Christ in all that you read. Now I'm going to see if I can read this a little bit better. Oh, looks like I'm going to have to do this. There is a quote about a century or more ago by Abraham Kuypers, and it's a powerful quote. He was a preacher, but he was also, I believe, some sort of political leader in Holland. And this is what he said. There is not one square inch on planet Earth where the risen Christ does not say mine. I made it, and I'm supreme over it. We turn to the scriptures. When we look at around the world, Christ is supreme over everything. And when we look at the scriptures, we must know the supremacy of Christ. We need to know the supremacy of his mercy, the supremacy of his justice, his supremacy of his peace, his supremacy in every way, shape, or form, the supremacy of Christ. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your blessings uh, this day that we can look to your Son and everything that's around us reminds us of what he has done. May our hearts be filled with joy knowing that's what you've done for us, that you have sent him for us. May your Spirit dwell within us that we might draw closer to you, that we might grow in the knowledge of your Son. And as we open up your word, may we see how Christ is supreme over all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.